My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Hey, welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmission. So glad to have you tuned in. This week, we are talking past selves with Sharon Van Etten, who's recently released an anniversary edition of her 2012 album, Tramp. Something kind of unexpected happened when I revisited Tramp, which was produced by future Taylor Swift producer and national guy Aaron Desner, and signaled a breakout moment for Van Etten back when it was released in 2012. I found it extremely easy to return to the setting of 2012-13, which feels both like it was yesterday and a million years ago. I had some help, of course, because I actually interviewed Sharon Van Etten in that time frame, back when Tramp had originally come out. It's a humbling thing, something like that, realizing that you have spoken with somebody uh, a decade ago, and that a decade just sort of goes by in a blink Um, and I think that that realization brought a strange sense of reunion to this chat which we recorded as you will note before the Academy Awards earlier this month. We discussed Sharon's origins, her time on Twin Peaks The Return and why she was worried about watching that show with her son in the house. Before we get into our talk, Aquarium Drunkard is powered by our patrons. Do you dig transmissions and Aquarium Drunkard's daily music coverage and all the stuff we create for you to listen to? If your answer is yes and you want to help us keep making it, head over to our Patreon today and pledge your support to keep the servers humming and ensure that Aquarium Drunkard is able to share music we dig with you for many more years to come. We already talked about how decades just go by in a flash when you think about the fact that Aquarium Drunkard has been out here uh, providing awesome tips since 2005 kind of boggles the mind so if you want to support aquarium drunkard if you want to help making it keep happening then head over to our patreon page and pledge your support okay let's do it here's sharon van etten you are listening to aquarium drunkard transmissions and i'm so glad to have you here with us Thank you so much for hanging out with us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's nice to be here. Before we get too deep into the talk, I have to start off by asking you about being on Twin Peaks in 2017. What was that like? <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the shoot like? Was it cool? What was the deal? It was pretty wild. Um, 
you know, they're very mysterious about location and we didn't know to the very last minute and they gave us this address and we entered what looked like the side of like a cultural center or like an old Elks Lodge and we walk into a room um, that is like all the booths and this is stage and like you are, you are at the bar you know, watching the show happen. And so they were shooting all the bands back to back. And I distinctly remember, I think it was Eddie Vedder was finishing when I got there. And then after I went on and I like, we all had to like change out of this really small bathroom. Um, Trent Reznor came in after me. And like, as I was changing, he was apologizing because he's like, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm done. And then he shook my hand. He's like, it's nice to be, you know, meet you, whatever. And, um, I'm so, I'm so scattered right now, but there, cause there's so many things that come to mind, but you know, like we are in like the, you know, the lodge room and yeah. it's a live audience is there the whole entire time. So you felt like you were at a show. David Lynch is in his chair with his megaphone and like chain smoking the whole time. And, you know, just, it was, it was exactly what you think it would be like. You're in this whole other universe as soon as you cross the threshold. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I have had the pleasure of talking with a few different people who had, who had done that last Last year we had I talked with the guys in the cactus blossoms and um and I was asking them similar questions cuz I'm just so utterly fascinated not just with Twin Peaks in general although definitely that but specifically the third season I think it's one of the greatest things that's ever been filmed ever been released on television but I was asking them about it and they were like yeah we were doing our thing and we were just had started and then we hear cut you know, and then Lynch is like, is it cactus blossoms or the cactus blossoms? And they were like, <laughs> oh, uh, the cactus blossoms. And he's like, okay. And then they kept going and they did their thing. But yeah, because yeah, the announcer guy too, yeah. you know, like he wanted to get it right. And, you know, for having to announce so many bands back to back, you know, he's like, wait, which band is this now? <laughs> and they do, he does say the Nine Inch Nails in their episode. So I've always wondered about that specifically, if they're an alternate mm-hmm. reality version of Nine Inch Nails in that scene. Um, yes. That version, I mean, that's, I watched it this morning. Um, I pulled out my, my Blu-ray copy because if you go to YouTube and you try to find your performance... It's not on there. They're doing a good job keeping <laughs> keeping it off off of YouTube. Burying it, yeah. Yeah, you got it. You got to buy the Blu-ray. Yeah, and it was that was a, such a special episode because I, I didn't, you know, because they did all the music back to back, so they had consistency in the lighting of the space. I guess um, I didn't know how it was going to be placed, but I mean that scene. I don't even want to give anything away to people that haven't seen it yet. But that that scene with Harry Dean Stanton. Um, it was so intense. I had no idea what was about to take place and, you know, not really knowing what the whole storyline was going to be for this, (laughs) this, um, revival, um, which got way darker than I ever could have (laughs) imagined. Yeah. You know, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. On the sort of scale of like, uh, 
Twin Peaks season one, there's a fish in the percolator to fire walk with me, absolute cosmic horror, you know, it leans way more in the latter direction. Yeah. Season three. Gotta lie. Gotta lie. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you watched the, you watched the show too. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I won't ask you to explain what happens oh, at no. the end. It was all good. It was funny. I just remember. So when we shot it, it was before. I had a kid and it came out by the time I had a kid. And I remember watching it with a newborn being like, is this a bad idea to be watching this with him? Like, is he absorbing some of this energy right now? And and so I had to kind of like limit my watching periods when he was around. Sure. seep into the baby <laughs> his first his first words are got a light yeah exactly yeah for real <laughs> well uh, congratulations on 11 years of tramp um i am it's really weird because i'm getting to the point now in my life where i have been talking with people about music long enough that some of these anniversaries almost feel personal to me. And I went back, I, I interviewed you in 2012, um, which I sent to your publicist. And I said, uh, tell Sharon that I have gotten better at interviewing, but I'm not sure that that's true. Um, I don't think I have. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've gotten worse probably. I re- went back and read it and I was like, this is pretty good. We talked a lot in that interview about Charlie, Chap- uh, Charlie Chaplin, which was cool. And um, and we talked about the album cover. I got a quote from you. You said, the artwork is just me trying to be simple and make eye contact. I'm trying to be myself. And I thought to myself, wow, that's... So how does it feel? You know, how did that record change things for you? What was the... What was, you know, in, in the scheme of your, of your life? It's so wild because... <clears throat> so just before our call, I was I met with my friend Adriana McCassum, who's going to be supporting me at the show we're doing at the Troubadour. And, you know, she's been, you know, she's about, she's shopping her first record right now, and she's trying to figure out what's next for her. And so she was asking me advice. And, of course, I'm, I have my favorites. And, um, and I introduced her to a friend of mine. But then, you know, she's like, what was your first record with jag and i was like that's funny that you should say that but it's tramp and so it's not only for me like a huge anniversary because of the album itself but like what you know forging a friendship and partnership with jag has been for me as a community and um so that is something i'm still wrapping my head around but you know just feeling accepted and approved and supported by people that release music that means a lot to me and nurtures the artist's spirit and and allows the artist to work at their own pace and you know just kind of facilitate what the artist is already naturally doing yeah and um you know and i just that 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 meant a lot to me and it was also coming out of transitioning from Bada Bing Records, who had released Epic, and, you know, taking a bit of a leap there. Um, and, and it was a big, intense and emotional, but definitely a necessary and welcomed <laughs> change in where I was at in my career. So I'm still learning how to make eye contact with people. I am still learning how to be myself and hopefully that'll be an ongoing journey 
And, you know, the older I get and the more I create and collaborate and meet more people that do what we do or live in a creative field at all. If there's one thing I've learned, it's like, that's just a constant search, you know, it's like constantly growing, constantly learning, constantly challenging yourself and, you know, never being done. When you listen back to the record now, how does it make you feel? Do you listen to it very often? How does that work? I do not listen to it often. <laughs> sure, but, sure. Um, you know, like it'll, you know, sometimes it'll come on when I'm out somewhere, or, um, or if I try to recall a lyric, um, and you know, and just talking to other people about past records and instrumentation and growth. You know, I I think about, you know, when I made it, I didn't, you know, I was just starting to learn how to play as a band. I I had a trio at the time. And when I finished making it, you know, Aaron Dessner had introduced me to Heather Woods Broderick, who was my bandmate and backup singer. I don't even like calling her a backup singer because she met me, (laughs) you know, like we were like this. Um, She was my singer. Co-vocalist, yeah. Yes. Um, But, um, you know, that dynamic just altered how I presented myself on stage and the intensity of the shows that I feel like kept going. Um, but yeah, uh, I think of my songwriting is ever, you know, evolving and the contents of what I write about, but also the instrumentation and, you know, my tastes or, well, when I say tastes, I'll say that there's a lot of stuff that I really loved at the time that I wasn't showing in my music. And as I learned how to write with a band and perform with a band, I've allowed my taste to come, you know, more of my taste to seep through as I've, you know, learned how to do this. <laughs> when when you say that kind of stuff, I mean, are you kind of talking about, obviously, as the records have progressed and you've made more and more stuff, I mean, I hear more electronic textures i hear more um kind of uh uh, maybe a little bit more i mean it doesn't exactly sound like nine inch nails but not not like nine inch nails every now and then you know (laughs) what i mean but uh, is that the sort of stuff that you're referencing yeah i mean sonically for sure like the more like synth driven um you know electronic drum beats and you know a bit more of the industrial feel um but it also the trajectory of my kind of sonic palette is also in line with how much more complex the the feelings that I'm trying to mm. convey are, you know, because it's not only like relationships and broken hearts, it's now it's like motherhood and, yeah. you know, Trump for president and then like goes from motherhood to like the apocalypse. So it's, um, as I've learned how to talk more about things that aren't just my love life, I think it, you know, the, the dark sonic palette helps uh, drive that intensity home. Thinking about like going back to 2012, I wonder if I could sit 2012 me down and talk to him and be like, okay, so in 2023, all of the following stuff is ha- will have happened, you know, and thinking about what an insane run it has been. I mean, you brought up the apocalypse, you brought up Trump, you brought up, you know, 
just a sea change in terms of the way that we think about things. People use the phrase before times, you know, and, and it, it really does feel like it was another era, another age in some ways. For sure. Um, but you talked about making sort of making a leap, you know, and, and, and moving to a bigger label. And part of that was, that, I mean, so you sent some demos to Aaron, uh, from the national, what was, I mean, had, had you two had much interaction? What was that? Was that sort of a shot in the dark a little bit? <laughs> well, it's funny because I was recounting this story to Adriana just before I talked to you. Um, so she primed me <laughs> accidentally. I'm going to have to um, thank her. We're going to give her a co-host <laughs> credit, you know, un unspoken co-host for this episode. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was interesting because I had recorded a song at Minor Street Recordings in Philadelphia for um, the Shaking Through series uh, via Weathervane in Philadelphia. And Weathervane partners with uh, the local station WXPN, and they basically do um, the documentation of the writing and recording of a song. And they, it's like a visual tape op and they talk about gear, they talk about process. And then once they finish the song, then XPN would premiere the song. And so I, 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 wrote, I did love more there, um, with my then boyfriend, Jeffrey Kish and a couple of friends and, um, Kat Martino, who was in my band for a little while. Um, and you know, it was like a 10 minute song that, they helped me condense to the song it is now. And, you know, it got, it got a little, it got some attention. I had no idea what, you know, what to expect. I think it was the first episode of what of shaking through. So I didn't know what to compare it to, but I had such a beautiful experience um, that I decided to make a record there. And because of that song being on XPN, um, very soon after that, I got a video sent to me by my friend Brad Cook from Megaphone uh, that Justin Vernon and the National covered Love More at their festival music now. And this is before it was on a record. It was just a song on the radio. So it was kind of wild that yeah. it, it made it that far. Um, but so that that gave me the courage to reach out to them and say, oh, thank you so much for supporting the song. Um, I had such a great experience making that I'm going to be making a record in the same place with the same people. If, if you're down, if you're around and you're interested, if you have time and they were both making pretty massive records at the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but they said, you know, we're honored that you asked, but we were super busy. Um, but Aaron kept in touch with me and you know we just had a text exchange for a while and he said well maybe you know i have a little studio in my backyard in ditness park in brooklyn if you ever want to demo some songs and i said oh cool here's a song he's like oh well that's cool do you have any more and then i sent him like a plethora of like all these backlog demos that i've been writing and he said oh okay so you don't need the demo maybe we should just make a record so I was making Epic while still talking to him. And so I toured Epic and, you know, made Epic and toured it in 2010 and 11. And 2011, in between touring, he and I were making Tramp. 
but it was like a lead up of like checking in with each other, sending him ideas and all these songs that I've never recorded. And I never had the confidence to share with people before because they were a little left of center. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And he kind of, and that's what, that's what appealed to him about it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. God, talk about things that would have been crazy to tell a decade plus us in the past, but imagine telling him, oh yeah, you're going to produce some Taylor Swift records. (laughs) I don't feel like that's what, I didn't have that in the cards, you know? Oh my God. I'm so proud of Aaron. He's He's always just, he's been so true to himself and he honors the musicians and their music and he's just an avid music fan and he's just super down to earth and one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life and I couldn't think of a better person to have the success and recognition that he has um I'm so happy for him yeah it's so crazy aquarium drunkard did an inter- uh had an interview with Joff josh kaufman who who plays with him and he was talking about like making tracks for taylor swift like in his in his closet like he had his amp in his closet and he was like yeah I just, <laughs> and it's just so funny to think about how much stuff has changed and that a huge mm-hmm. huge huge record can have these you know intimate indie rock sounding kind of things at the core of it anyway it's just it's nuts but but I do remember, I mean, when Tramp hit, it was like, I think that was my introduction to you. Although, who knows, maybe I had seen your name in my inbox, because you were working at Bada Bing as well, right? Doing publicity? <laughs> were, were you yeah. were you explaining to your friend how to get her, her record noticed from a, public, a publicist standpoint, too? Well, I mean, I'm also not a publicist anymore, because I wasn't very good at it, but... Um, <laughs> And also it's just heartbreaking when you like you love music and then you're sharing records and just people get so much music that they can't help you all most of the time. And yeah. you send out like how many emails a day and like this percentage that people even write you back, even just to say no, but thank you, you know, it's yeah. like yeah. So having any kind of interaction at all at the time, I think so like Beirut was pretty active when I was working and, um, there was a band called Womb that was pretty active uh, when I started. And then Dead Sea had a reissue. I think that was maybe my first um, foray into navigating the very niche world of uh, experimental noise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, but then Goldberg at Bada Bing is like one of like one of the best people in the whole wide world. Like he's a heart of gold. Um, Yeah, yeah, very much. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads. And as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras 
The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. You worked at a, and before that, had worked at a record store, right? Uh, like a record store coffee shop? Yeah, it was a coffee shop that turned record store screen printing studio venue. Um, kind of, you know, like a collective of sorts after the owner gave a lot of trust to a couple of the employees that started booking shows there and stuff. And it was, yeah, it was definitely formative years. That's awesome. I was talking with um, my wife, Becky, who is a journalist and a writer, and we were talking about, well, we uh, she watched the Twin Peaks thing with me this morning, and she was talking about how there's a moment where you like the song kind of swells uh and she's like sharon is so good at these moments where the song does that and it gives you goosebumps and i i know exactly what she's talking about but we were talking about this interview i will occasionally bug her about what i'm gonna be doing but she, but she was like um I was saying like, yeah, you know, she worked in publicity and she had worked at a record store, coffee shop type thing. And Becky was like, yeah, if you're not a Nepo baby, that is sort of what you have to do is just start working at a place. <laughs> so I'm curious if you, you know, when you're working at this this record store, coffee shop turned record store turned venue. I mean, I don't know if you had aspirations per se, but I would just love to hear about the mindset of a young person who is just sort of like, I'll work anything that's kind of near where I want to be. Does that, does that register? Does that sound about right? Well, it's funny because it, it didn't, I mean, I mean, it was all kind of very natural, but when I, I first left New Jersey to go to college, cause you know, my parents were like, we, it, I had a passion, but I wasn't writing my own stuff really. And I, I did covers and I, I had occasional silly songs like a la ween or something um we like ween here on transmissions (laughs) in a major way but i didn't yet like have a lot of songs that were you know that i'd be like oh that's you know that was my first real (laughs) yeah sorry my dog heard a bird or something it's okay Uh, it happens all the time (laughs) um but um yeah so i so I moved there with the idea that they had a recording program that was production technology. And I went there and I didn't realize that you still had to take all the general requirements. Sure. You couldn't just do recording stuff. I was like, why? Oh, why could I was like, I got pretty much straight A's, B's, you know, maybe one D in physics. Um, but like, I did pretty well for the most part in high school. And I'm like, cool. Now I'm, I thought college was like, now I'm going to school for music because mm-hmm. I work my ass off. And I was like, I have to take all this shit over again. <laughs> I remember just thinking I got scammed. And then the people that I knew that were a couple years ahead of me in the program, they recommended that if I wasn't like, didn't want to be the student um, that an internship was probably the smartest way to go if I knew that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't loving like the formulaic style of like, this is how to be an artist. This is how to be a producer. This is how you write a song. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even get far enough into the program where I actually learned anything that I apply to this day because I was so turned off by the academic part of it. Um, that I just, I didn't wait around for the art and the creative part to come in. So after a year, I stopped going. 
much to the chagrin of my parents, but I also didn't want to waste time or waste money. Um, I'm one of five kids and they, you know, they helped me with school. So I was, you know, you know, when you come from that kind of upbringing, you're just like, money's always on the brain. And I don't like owing money and I don't, you know, I like supporting myself and I work my way even through like junior high, high school. So it was always like, thank you for helping me. But I also don't, you know, I didn't want to be like, I don't need you. I have this. Um, so I, um, you know, independent kid. I, I, I left school. I got, I had a, a bunch of, you know, funny jobs. Like I worked at a subway at a CC's pizza just so I could have food while I figured things out. And, um, I, one day I was riding, um, my bike or a borrowed bike from a friend of mine who was letting me crash with her at the time. And I was riding a bike to CC's on my way to work. I still hadn't been paid for like two months because there was a flaw in like the system. And I passed out on my bike in front of a coffee shop called the Red Rose. And, and I woke up to this woman, Stephanie, shaking me, asking me if I was okay. And um, I just started crying and I said, I don't want to work at CC's anymore. <laughs> And I hadn't been to this coffee shop before, um, but they gave me water. They sat me down. I think they gave me some food and they were like, what's going on? Like, what's your story? And they took pity on me and they hired me part time. And I started working at this coffee shop that within a month uh, or two of me working there, um, this guy, Bingham Barnes, who's like world famous in Murfreesboro, Nashville area, and Mike Mullins, um, they were managing this place. And Bingham was a local promoter um, at a downtown venue called Sponge, uh, sorry, called Sebastian's. That was like right on the same block as Sponge Bath Records, which was like big claim to fame in Murfreesboro. And um, he didn't have the freedom to book shows at this place called Sebastian's. So he brought the shows to the Red Rose. Nice. And then that brought a lot of artists and touring acts and bands that couldn't get shows in Nashville because it was country and a hardcore, I feel like. Um, mm -hmm. It was like a big hardcore scene and country scene. But then the indie rock, I feel like, made it to Murfreesboro more so than Nashville at the time. This is 99. Um, and... So yeah, these shows started to happen and their friend Chris brought in records. And then as we had more shows, uh, this local guy, Greg, helped Bingham set up a screen printing space in the back. And so it kind of just morphed into this thing. And I fell into this collective of people um, with an interest in music and me quietly just playing guitar at home and maybe the occasional open mic, but without really knowing what I was doing. Right. But I fell into this group of people and I said, this is what I, this is what I was looking for. I didn't even know it. Yeah. And, um, so I worked there for like three or four years, um, and just got turned on to a lot of music. I learned how to help shows and, you know, help, you know, promote book shows when my friends were out of town. Andrew Seward worked there who was, uh, he was in a band called Kill Devil Hills and then against me asked him to be a bass player. And that was a big deal. And so he went on to do amazing things that everyone that had worked there has gone on to like do some really great, interesting, beautiful things. So that, sorry, that was a long winded way of saying like, I didn't really know uh, what I was doing. I was just, I kind of 
like the universe, I fell into the lap of the red rose by the universe and it saved my life most likely. Um, and then from there, um, you know, I moved back home with my parents while I was like, okay, I have to figure out something else in my life. And, um, they said that you can live with us for a year while you figure things out. If you get a job, go to school and go to therapy, which I did. And Um, I reached out to a friend of mine that I knew that actually went through the program at Middle Tennessee State and got a job in New York. And she was Ben Goldberg's first assistant at Bada Big. (laughs) But also the job that I got in in New Jersey was at a wine shop. And the owner of the wine shop gave me a referral, like a recommendation to get my first job job in New York at Astor Wine, which is like the biggest wine store in New York. So then... It's like now I have money to like support myself in New York with the wine store. But now I have, I got offered an internship at the label to kind of learn how the indie label worked. Right. Right. But without really knowing what I was doing or having any kind of idea of what I wanted for myself. I just wanted to educate myself while also supporting myself. Yeah. Well, sorry. <laughs> no, it seems like uh long story short, it worked out. <laughs> that was all correct. The universe was pointing you in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of you got to just take what it's given to you, you know, and and make and make, you know, make do isn't the right way of saying it, but you know, I feel like I was pres- I felt very lucky for the opportunities that presented themselves to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to go back to Tramp for a second, uh, somebody who appears on the record and has been here on the show and uh, somebody with whom I've had some of the craziest conversations ever is Jen Jen Wasner from Y.O. is on it. <laughs> and I think we've talked a handful of times and every time it goes into the just someplace heavy someplace weird someplace cool it's always an incredible conversation but i was i was curious how you how you met her was that through um was that in where 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 did that take place when did you get connected with her i mean i was a fan of her music and i feel like we even played a couple of festivals together but i specifically remember um our friend skippy um, who now, because he's a dad, goes by Jack McFadden. But I knew him as Skippy and a Staten Island boy, I believe. And he um, he booked at a place called Union Hall. Mm-hmm. And then he booked at a place called the Bell House. He now works um, as a promoter, I think, in, in Austin. But And he's a family man. But... Uh, he was having a 40th birthday at Gowanus at the uh, venue, the Bell House in Gowanus, and he basically was having his favorite artists cover Tusk front to back for cool. his 40th cool. at the Bell House, and just asked, you know, Jen, Jen sang Chains, I believe, and. I remember being very intimidated. I can't even rem- it's so funny. I can't even remember all of the artists now, but I think um Luna was there and um and I just remember being so intimidated that I didn't even want to go to the green room. <laughs> and she just she's one of those people where like 
she'll see you and be like, you here, come here. Like what's going on? You know? And she made a point to make me feel welcome and introduce herself. And like, she's just like a, you know, like a sibling as soon as you get into arm's length, you know? And, um, you know, but I was already a fan of her music, but then meeting her that night and hearing her voice, I was like, you are, you are an original, like you have something like her charisma and her range and delivery was just, I don't know. It left a mark for me. That's sure. For sure. And then we have, we've been in touch ever since, you know, we've toured together, we've played together and we've just hung together and, when I turn, when I, it's funny because when I turned forty, she, she and I got to hang out in the desert together, and that was during COVID. Um, so I don't know. It's it's nice to see that you know throughout time and ebbs and flows that you know you can still connect. That's so cool. You guys were out in like Joshua Tree or something like that. Yeah, I spent my fortieth there solo, but then I saw her posting, and I said, "Are you there?" She's like, "Yes." I'm like do you want to do coffee or something? And so she came out and we just did a cheers together. Cause I think she had just finished a record and I was just, you know, because it was COVID, I didn't even want to put the pressure on my partner to like have a birthday. Sure. So I selfishly asked if I could just have some alone time <laughs> <laughs> after being, you know, up in each other's business. I was like, you know what? I think I just need some space. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I love it out there. It's a great place to clear your head and to focus and to, um, you know, yeah, think. yeah. I wanted to ask you. Um, you'd mentioned a few times about doing covers or learning covers, and and I was kind of cruising through stuff, and I found a cover of um, Black Boys on Mopeds that you did, the incredible Sinead O'Connor song, and I was like, I'm gonna ask her about that, and then I was like hang on a second. And I ran to my room and I grabbed the, this, this book, Alison, uh, Alison McCabe's Why Sinead O'Connor Matters, which I'm almost done with. And I was like, is it out already? No, it's not. It's a, it's a, this is a, uh, this is one of those promo copies where it's like, okay, don't post anything cause it might get changed or whatever. But I was like, why did I go grab this? And then I was like, oh yeah, because you have a blurb on the back. Oh, cool, it made it. I wasn't sure if I'd make the cut. What is it? What did I say? You said, <laughs> a thought-provoking look at one of the most influential artists and activists of our time that ultimately asks, why did we abandon her? In her time of need when she needed support, when she stood by her values, her audience turned the industry more, or trusted the industry more than the artist. I hope this book is read by those who don't know Sinead's story, for those uh, and those that do will gain insight into the pain and punk ethos Sinead still stands for. Allison McCabe makes us all want to ask Sinead for forgiveness and hopefully ask ourselves how we can do things differently. That's a great blurb. Ah, cool. I'm obsessed with Sinead and have been now for the last couple of years. Um, and I will say that her book, Rememberings, was really, really good. Um, Allison's book is much better because as we all understand, sometimes artists are not the right person to ask about their own art. That's a strange thing for somebody whose job is to ask people about their art to say, but you know what I mean, I think. Mm -hmm. I find that quote you said about, you know, why did we abandon Sinead? I find it really, really fascinating and really it's, it's stuck with me because one thing that's really cool about this book is that 
It opens Sinead's story up in really powerful ways, but it doesn't let her off the hook for some stuff. And when you read it, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sinead said some weird stuff every now and then. Stuff that, like, obviously there was the public backlash and the kind of shitty Andrew Dice Clay types, like, talking shit and Frank Sinatra and all those, like, meatheads who were dismissing her. But then you look back and you're like, you know... I guess all I mean to say is, what does Sinead's work mean to you? And when did you start listening to her? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, when I was when I was a kid, nothing compares to you. It's definitely one of those songs, just like Mazzy Stars Fade Into You, um, that will forever be on the soundtrack of my life as, you know, as a, you know, teenager, you know, like dumbstruck by the idea of love and mm-hmm. heartbreak forever and ever um but you know i i don't think i i was in touch with politics when i knew her music and i didn't understand um the weight of her performance on snl at the time um and how right she was mm-hmm. and and i didn't understand you know, the framework of her well-being being such if she was just taken care of a little bit more, I mm-hmm. think there there, you know, there wouldn't be as much backlash. She had more support from the people that she worked with, just from what again, I've read because it's just stories that we're hearing, you know. Um, but she's just such a tender heart who had trauma early on that wasn't able to get it treated, taken care of, addressed, and she just had to move on and like be a brave little girl, you know? And, you know, so now knowing as much as we do about, you know, therapy and EMDR and like just, you know, just different ways of being able to cope with trauma and, um, you know, sorry, my words aren't, uh, no, you don't falling very gracefully, but it's like, you know, there's such a, there's always a stigma. Like I couldn't talk about therapy when I was younger and now it's such a part of our normal day to day. And it's, it's just like any other doctor that you need to go see to get checked in on, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm, I've, I gotta get this, get the spot checked on my skin. And like, you right. know, I gotta get my vagina looked at by my doctor. Like what's going on down there. it's like, uh-huh. can you help me figure out, what these mental blocks are or why I'm reacting in this way and like learning more about yourself on a deeper level that is just necessary care for anybody now. But back then mm-hmm. it was such a stick. There's such a stigma, you know, and there are much more intense, offensive, sick men that have not have received as much hate as Sinead. No, no kidding. No kidding. And it's, it's, it's so true. I think about how in the documentary that came out 
about her her life she kind of talks about how her early songs were her therapy and or or it's discussed about how they were they were and i get that right because i mean obviously there's a catharsis to music and obviously we pour our hearts and our feelings into our songs but sometimes the songs can't save you sometimes like they're part of what saves you or or they're necessary but but I think that it just becomes such a complicated, complicated thing, you know, of trying to untangle all that. And I think that the support that she needed, it's clear that that wasn't there and it was denied her. And you see the repercussions that that's had. But, but the records. But like, I think, but, you know, music as, as therapy is great for a moment when you're feeling you know, like I still use it for therapy for myself. And I know that it's not the end all be all, but if I, if that was all that I had, like, and for a while it was, mm-hmm. I'm so glad I at least had one outlet to get it out. Cause if you don't even get to express it out and people that don't have that, you know, people that don't need a catharsis to feel better, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I feel like a lot of creatives need that catharsis to feel better, to just move on in their day. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, in a way that, you know, not everybody understands. No, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, we don't have to, we, we won't talk just about Sinead O'Connor. We can move on. I won't <laughs> ask okay. you, I won't ask you what you think about her reggae album, Throw Down Your Arms. I love it. I do I too. It. Okay, right. So is it, the, it might be. Where you gonna run to? <laughs> I, there's so many things. One, I'm very glad yeah. she did not do a patois. She's already got the Irish broke, so that's fine. She's not trying to do the patois thing. That would probably make it uh, considerably dicier than it is. But I think it's great, and it like it rips. Sinead, I've been on a huge kick of like the what faith is it? Faith and courage from 2000. There's that song, The Healing Room, that just like I was driving to work and I just started bawling listening to it <laughs> and i was like yeah i know what she's talking about i need a universal mother as well or whatever you know i don't know but um sinead rules so yeah yes. what a special artist so i was psyched to see your your blurb on the back of that book and um and yeah i uh, well i want to i guess as we as we near wrapping up um i want to talk uh, something we actually started the conversation you were talking about your your then infant child and not wanting to watch Twin Peaks The Return with them. Uh, but your last record, We've Been Going About This All Wrong, is named after a Sandlot quote from something, a movie that you did watch a lot with him. And I was wondering, what are some other favorites of uh, things that you guys can watch together? Uh, are, there any, are there any recent uh, gems in that, on that front? We love Seinfeld. Yeah? How do you... The show about nothing. That's great. <laughs> he calls it... You know, whenever he can't sleep, he knows how to, like, get his way with us. Because he'll go, hey, mom, dad, can we watch a Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like... And, he'll, and he's so perceptive because he'll be like, why does anybody like them? Yeah. I'm like, that is the thing. Because he's like, but they're funny. Yes. I'm like, exactly. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's just funny. Like, we walk the line of, like, 
some we probably show him some things that we shouldn't just he's he loves movies he can sit through a whole movie he'll talk want to talk about it after that's cool um but he's really into sonic right now um we watched the new ant-man in the theater um he's like all into the superheroes um and he what was ghostbusters bill murray across the board okay any Bill Murray movie, um, Jim Carrey. He's a fan. Loves Jim Carrey. Oh my gosh, he loves The Mask. It's a good um, one. But like, he's just and he prefers real people as opposed to cartoons. Cool. Um, and he even watched um, Fire of Love with me. Wow. Yes. Advanced um, taste. Yes. Like he's, he's into it. Like he's a goofball, but he also just, he loves art and he's into things that look beautiful and, and, and he asks a lot of questions and he's just at this age where it's so fun to like watch his wheels turning and he's excited where I'm going to have a couple friends over to watch the Oscars and I'm going to let him stay up late and watch the oscars with us <laughs> is, is he is he pulling for top gun you think for, for best picture <laughs> i wonder if that's what we should watch on friday um we do movie fridays where we'll do pizza and a movie and um you know maybe a second feature if we're feeling crazy um but yeah i mean he even loves like he well he can make it through the grammys and he loves billy eilish her he was like that performance we were watching the grammys <laughs> this year he was like Billie Eilish's performance is still my favorite. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Uh, yeah, he's a special kid. Well, it's been an absolute blast talking with you about his viewing habits and Sinead <laughs> and uh, 11 great years of Tramp. And uh, and thank you so much for taking the time. And um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's nice to talk to you throughout the ages and uh, <laughs> hopefully another 11 and we'll catch up from there. Big thanks to Sharon for being here on Transmissions. And of course, thank you so much for tuning in, listening and being part of this show. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, produce and host it. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Our music comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his incredible discography of gorgeous library music. Find more by visiting mastin.bandcamp.com. Art for the show is created by Dakota Brown and Daryl Norson. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, 7 p.m. Pacific Time, every Wednesday night. You get Transmissions, the talk show, in the morning. You get The Aquarium Drunkard Show on Sirius XMU at night. It is a match made in heaven. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on Transmissions, producer and musician Adrian Casada, you might also know him as one half of Black Pumas, joins us to discuss his psychedelic Latin sound and his hard rock and hip-hop roots. I hope you will join us then. This transmission is concluded. <laughs>